0: going to do something a little different today in that I've asked Nate, and we want to do this um, two or three times throughout the year where we have an extended worship time. So I'm going to give a a shortened sermon, which is, I know, an answer to many prayers, and then then we're going to have some worship after that. But you, you might remember in Genesis 11, there is the story of The Tower of Babel. How many of you have heard of that? The Tower of Babel. A true story of what took place when a a people were gathering the descendants of Noah in this area called Shinar that was uh, in Babylon. They settled there and as the population grew and as they united in, in, in one voice, they began to feel awfully good about themselves. So they decided what they would do. They, they would build a tower to basically commemorate how great they were as a people. And they built this tower essentially as high as they could. And then God was not so fond of this venture, was not so fond of their motives and their arrogance. And we read of his response in Genesis eleven nine. therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, does this mean that God is against construction? God is against buildings? Of course not. What it was, though, were the the hearts of people that became very arrogant in building this structure. Uh, they, They prided themselves in this. Now, one of the things you notice about people who are, ...who worship idols, they rarely recognize that what they're worshiping is an idol. Rather, what they see is that something is necessary, absolutely necessary. They cannot go without this thing. And when you think of what might be our own towers of Babel within our present culture, what would you say those things might be? I would like to throw out one, just for your consideration things that people take pride in, things that we think that we cannot do without. It makes us feel self-sufficient. And I think in our culture, technology fits that bill. Technology. And then just add on top of that something like the Internet. Now, does that mean God is against computers? God is against the Internet? Of course not. But what God is against is the the feeling that we cannot do without this thing. God will, you know, yeah, 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 God. But the internet, technology, cannot be without that. It's this idea of instant information at our fingertips. And it unites the world, does it not, with all this information? Janet and I went out to dinner with some friends this weekend, and... Left the house about five minutes into the ride towards the restaurant where we're meeting our friends, and I realized I forgot my phone. My my initial reaction was, oh man, I left my phone at the house. And I basically had to talk myself off the ledge within I had this conversation within about 15 seconds, and I realized, okay, actually, this is a good thing. All right? This is two hours without a call. That's good. And isn't it funny how the the food tastes better? The conversation is deeper without the interruptions of the the phone. Uh, We enjoyed ourselves. Even though there was an immediate sense of panic, I realized that there's actually a disconnection with those things of the culture and a connection with friends and fellowship that enriched us. Now listen, this is not about throwing shame on anybody who uses the internet. Obviously, we all do it. But I'm just saying, maybe thinking of it more in positive terms here, what can we do to position our souls to to grow, to prosper? Okay? I mean, let's not just take a negative approach, don't do this, don't do that, but what can we do, do to position our souls To be in the best position to grow, what would that look like? Now, obviously, as we move in faith with Christ, our souls grow. And that, I think, is the essence of this. And obviously, we have to have the word of God. We we have fellowship with other people. Um, we, We pray. And we also have to learn how to worship. These things, for me feeds the soul and I think you find that out as well. I was talking to somebody after the first service and they were just saying, Wow boy did I need that. I mean it's like I'm I'm refreshed, right? I'm refreshed. Now what does not give me a sense of refreshment? Facebook. Faux connection okay on the internet. Again I'm not saying that's sin. I'm saying an overabundance or inserting things for that to do that only God can do for us. That's what makes it an idol. This deluge of facts is not the same thing as having a connection for the soul. So we have to make conscious decisions to feed our soul, to turn off the noise that just fills that empty space that we might have. So what feeds our soul? Well, I think it's this connection with Christ, right? This, this relationship that we, we, we welcome him into our life. And listen to some of these passages that I think kind of set the pace for us. Colossians 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What this is saying is fall in love with him, enjoy him as your first love, drink him in, pursue him, worship him. There is nothing more satisfying for the soul. So whatever we do in life, that is what life is about, is, is, is constructing our day so that this can be enjoyed, being deliberate so that this relationship can be enhanced. So we order our lives to say no to those things that suck that from us and yes to those things that feed our soul. Romans 12, 1 and 2 urges us to offer ourselves what is fitting for worship And then consider the cultural patterns that move us away from that. Like what I've just mentioned uh, with technology. It can move us away. It can be good or it can move us away. Now here's some other things that I want to throw out as possible. Hindrances to worship, assuming that worship is one of the the big ideas in terms of moving us into relationship with Christ. Uh, Unforgiveness that chokes our soul. Huge hindrance to worship, right? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Notice, blocks grace, causes trouble, causes defilement. What is that? Unforgiveness. 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 Now, many in the body of Christ are eaten up with family and relationship bitterness toward others. Of course, nobody admits, or I should say rarely do they admit, that they're bitter. How you doing? I'm bitter. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Never have you gotten that answer, all right? But how many of us have walked in bitterness? Every one of us have. Every one of us have a season where that's the case, right? So we don't like to admit it. Yet, what we will say are things like, I just don't want to see that person. I can't stand being in that person's presence. Or you might have nothing good to say about that person. Or you cut them down behind their back, but you claim you're not bitter. Right. And Donald Trump has good hair. I, I get that. Yeah. Bitterness is like a shade over our soul that keeps the light of Christ from shining in our hearts. So, what we gotta do is lift the shade. We gotta make the choices that don't allow this poison to infect us. Attend to those relationships, attend to your heart. your soul can breathe again. Unforgiveness chokes the soul and hinders our worship. The next are prescriptions or legalism that hinders our freedom. And the Lord said, because as people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, they go through the motions while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by me. You now it seems every week I read of somebody bemoaning some style of worship, and what do they do? They turn right around and posit their own style. So don't do this kind. I want you to do this kind. This is godlier. This is more spiritual. This is how they did it 200 years ago. This is how we need to do it today. They were more spiritual, we're not. Okay? The issue is not old versus new. It's not contemporary versus traditional. It's not hymn books versus words on a screen. It's not piano versus a guitar. Rather, it is about our hearts and humbling ourselves before an almighty God. And then I might add to that, not making demands. We'll talk about that a little later. Next, false images. So we have unforgiveness that chokes our soul, prescriptions that hinder our freedom, and then false images that cover his glory. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Shall I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God and any of the house of Israel who takes his idol into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity Before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. God did not like the fact that in their hearts they saw these things as necessities. They made idols of them. I mean, in order to worship God, we have to have a true picture of who God is. We have to face reality as God has revealed himself in Scripture and in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. But what we have today is said our idols, like a synchronistic kind of, of, of religion or worship that is offered where we try to meld together, you know, different religions with Christianity, and it's all done with, you know, come and hug one another, tolerance, kumbaya, we're all one, love Oprah, all of it together, okay? All right? All done in tolerance. But you know what you do in the midst of all that? is you reject the one and only God of the Bible who does not take competition lightly when it comes to idols versus the one true God. It is a rejection of Jehovah God. And then people try to construct a God stripped of the biblical record. And nowadays, the progressive Christianity takes a... Uh, a, a view of God stripped of the Old Testament. What we like is the New Testament God. You know, he's the huggable type, much more palatable. We don't like the Old Testament God. He's kind of mean, all right? And that's not the way God acts anymore. God is more pat you on your back. Hey, how you doing, man? Hey, great. That's the God. That's the way Jesus was. And what they completely forget is the way Jesus overturned tables in the temple or Ananias and Sapphira being knocked dead in the, in the early church and all these things going on and God saying how he's a, you know, he's a, he's a terrible God to be feared and, and, and I use terrible in that term of, of awful or awesome and, and that we need to fear him. These are New Testament ideas, not just Old Testament, gloss right over. And why do we do that? We do it because we don't like to talk about those things. That's a hard sell in our, in our society that, that God is the Old Testament kind of God too as well as the New Testament kind of God. And, and he hates sin and, and he demands holiness and, and we're to worship him, we're to fear him. And we don't want that. And so we construct a different kind of God. And in doing, we reject the God who's revealed himself. So we strip the Bible of the hard sayings in order to make a man-made version. We have created an idol. And these are false images. So we cannot allow the glory of God to be diminished in our mind and hearts as we worship him. You know, we take care in the the songs that we choose that talk about God is great and, and is consistent with scripture. Just because you insert Jesus and God in a worship song doesn't mean it's a good worship song. It has to reflect the truth of Scripture. We're to worship God in spirit and in truth. And lastly, another hindrance is the pride. The pride that comes upon us where we demand our way before we worship. Zephaniah says this, on that day you shall not be put uh, to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I love how many folks will arrive, and this is common probably around the world, not just in the American church. We supposedly arrive to worship God and then we want to select, you know, this, our our worship leader, our kind of songs, you know, the colors on the wall, the instruments that we want, the kind of lighting, all of these demands. We go down the list. I'm only gonna worship if I have this, 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 and this in place. Now I can worship. That's like saying to my wife, you know what, before I kiss you, would you put on that different dress? Would you change your makeup? Would you change your hair? and then I'll show you a little affection. And aren't you privileged to have me there with you? All right? That's exactly the attitude when we walk into church and we make our demands. Listen, the the church is is what? The bride of Christ. And what did Christ do for his bride? He died for his bride, right? Right? Right, so that we could be reconciled to God. You know what I would be doing? I would be crawling through mud, doing whatever I could to give him thanks, to praise and worship him, and I sure as heck wouldn't be making a whole list of demands before I worship God. I can't worship God unless we have... Like, really? (laughs) Wow. Because here's God who has done all of this for us in Christ... And then we want to make a whole list of demands. That doesn't fit. That just doesn't fit. Somewhere we're missing the point. He gave his life so we could enjoy his presence. We're not in a position to demand. We're to be grateful that we can worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you know what? When you love, when the church, I think, realize it, it loves Christ, when Okay, husband, you love your bride. Does it really matter whether she doesn't have the makeup on in the morning? Doesn't to me. Doesn't to me. In fact, I'm always telling Janet, man, I love you without it. she thinks think you're nuts, all right? But it doesn't matter because I know the inside person and it's as beautiful to me now as it was when we first got married. And I love her and I want to show her affection. And when you're in love with Christ, It's the same way. I don't have these demands on what it's going to look like, what it should look like. Today we're inviting us to worship him and not put up hindrances. To worship him, so to state it positively, we could worship him in joy. We could worship him in freedom. We could worship him with exuberance. Now that may look different from the person sitting next to you. But can your heart joyfully, exuberantly with freedom just call out to him? Tell him what it is that he means to you. I mean, what I think of the anticipation of going on that date with the one you love. What I think of looking across the table of that one that you are in love with and you're, you're enjoying the conversation. That's what I think of, of what our attitude is like, what when this first love that we have with Jesus as we come together to worship. And that is what is about. Maybe there's an idol that has been in your life. Maybe there's bitterness that's come, that's kind of poisoned the system. Maybe you see demands. Maybe there are things that you need to address in your heart. Why don't we do that now? Why don't you take some time to go before the Lord. Address those issues. Allow the Lord to give your heart freedom and joy.